0: Tell Tetra! What, what
1: a screamer! What a screamer! What a fantastic goal! Here's Liver, lines it up, finds the net! Arslan in front! Oh, when the wheels come falling off! Oh, when the wheels come falling off. Okay, you know what? I'm jinxing it, aren't I? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, I, I want to laugh at Spurs, but let me check the fixtures here real quick. What's our next fix? Oh, Spurs away. So maybe we do the laugh at Spurs thing, but maybe we do it sort of under our breath just for now. Uh, but yeah, it it's fun watching them be Spursy. And never forget, no matter who says they are no longer Spursy. They are still forever Spursy, uh, And here to discuss that and what was a, a quite excellent 5-1 victory by the Arsenal, oh, by the way, is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. No one else is with us. Clive is coming next. So the way we're going to do this, Tim and I will have a chat, and then we'll have a break. Uh, we will probably talk lingerie in that break. And then uh, Clive will be on, and we will have a chat. A couple of uh, quick housekeeping things. So, you know, busy week in terms of pumping out the podcast, but I want to let everybody know that we're having a hell of a lot of fun with our Discord chat. That's the private chat over on Patreon. For everyone, not just patrons. Patreons, Patreons? <laughs> uh, on YouTube, we did a pre-match show yesterday, Scott and I, that is a video show. We're gonna try to do more of those, but if you watch it, you may think, please, please know more of those. Some of the comments include, oh God, I've seen your faces, oh God. Uh, I wish I hadn't seen your faces. Uh, I thought you'd look different, ellipse, so yeah, a wide range of of reactions to that. But Tim, uh, none of that is relevant to our discussion. What is relevant is the uh, the uh, game, which we won quite handily, five one. and I you know normally we start with the lineup. I guess what I'd rather do is just say generally, what mm. for you is the sort of overriding thematic takeaway? From this emphatic victory,
2: um, I'd I'd actually I'd actually mention the lineup. Oh, all
1: right. <laughs> well, great. Hang on, hang on. Let me just so ask about lineup, Tim. What did you think about the lineup?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, and it will build into a wider point. Of course, I, I got I, I got to the stadium like slightly earlier um, than well, I say than I usually do. Only you know, we're talking like five ten minutes because um, yeah, I won't go into why. Um, Bow movement uh, okay um, <laughs> i was gonna say is it, is it sexual or
1: scatological so scatological no, no, there we go
2: very scatological so i kind of made a run for the turnstiles mm-hmm. um and so i was in like slightly slightly early and obviously that gave me time to look at twitter um because obviously that's the best time to look at twitter uh, yes. and, and, uh, and you know i said a few weeks ago that i don't usually like i don't i'm not usually kind of on twitter bef- immediately before a game so um you know if a when I was away, for example, I was looking and I was thinking, wow, people really lose their shit about the starting 11. Um And I kind of saw it again, and I, and I saw this, no, we're playing 15 at the back and 17 DMs again. <laughs> mm. What are we doing? The two, the two <clears throat>
1: goalkeepers was shocking. I don't know why. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And And I was just kind of thinking – if there's one thing I've learned from this season, it's that pretty much every lineup has a surprise or two. And, you know, the formation is often a surprise. How we set up is almost like almost always completely different because it's clear by now that he, you know, for better or for worse, Emery looks at the opposition. Um <laughs> And and, you know, so we played a back back three because I think because Bournemouth play a front three and he wanted to match up there a little bit. And, you know, it it wasn't a back five. It was a back three and it was a midfield four. I looked at, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got a privileged view like um, in the upper tier and the way it was lined up at kickoff, which, you know, tells you what the kind of setup is, was. 3-4-3, 3-4-3 three, three, um basically and and you know he kind of had Ozil in that inside forward but he's not going to stay wide is he so it made no, a certain no. amount of sense to have wing backs but yeah so the the thematic thing that came out for me is I think Emery's spoken a lot and is continuing to speak about rotating his team we've got some players back now we've got some players fit and you know we've got we've got a lot of talent up front and we and and you know in the kind of um playing behind the forward and at centre forward. And one thing we don't really know is how to coalesce that talent properly. So mm. I, th- I think rotating it is a good way to go. Um, as we kind of discussed on the last pod, I, I, I wasn't at all surprised to see six changes. Um, maybe didn't expect us to go three at the back, but the, the, the thematic thing that came out for me is that two of our best performances of the season have come in these two games. And they came using almost completely different teams in completely different formations and what that tells you I think is hopefully hopefully, this kind of adaptability that I think the manager's been trying to build in and let's face it for a big part you know a few weeks ago like in December and January it it just looked muddled and we looked lost. But he's trying to build in this adaptability and he's talking about it a lot at the moment. He's talking about rotating players. We know he likes to share game time between particular players. And, you know, we spoke about, you know, Paul spoke about, ah, we've got Urzal and Ramsey now so we can rotate them. You know, Denis Suarez is there as a rotation option. We've got mm. Bamiang and Lacazette and we can share game time between them. You know, they can both be involved in every game. It's just one will play 60 or 70 and the other one will play 20 or 30 and we can keep going like that. And hopefully... Hopefully, this last kind of couple of games, I I hope it means the players are starting to get it and starting to kind of pick up on it and they're starting to become comfortable um, adapting both formation, selection, tactics, etc. etc. So, I think the thematic thing is when the starting line comes up comes out it doesn't mean you have any idea how Arsenal are going (laughs) to play and it might be it might be horrible it has been plenty of times this season and there are plenty of times where after the game you can say yeah we shouldn't have played a back like Barté away yeah shouldn't have played a back three Um, no point it didn't work we did x y and z wrong but really I think the thematic thing to take is that the starting lineup doesn't really tell you that much because people were all talking about how defensive it was and what we got was one of our best attacking performances of the season. Um, And actually with the goal we gave up was a, was a consequence of being overly cavalier um, in, in front of our own box and being Mm. perhaps a bit too adventurous and a bit too confident. So, Um, yeah, that, that would be my thematic thing. Um, and I'm not saying Emery's cracked it yet and that's it because we'll have harder games against tougher opposition, namely this Saturday. And, you know, we've said right from since the beginning of the season, we've all said that we think Arsenal will be a bit up and down and maybe in three weeks time, we'll have a couple of bad results against Spurs and Man U and everyone will say, oh, this is awful again. Um, so I, I I think the thematic the, – the pleasing thematic thing for me here is that we got probably an even better performance than we had on Sunday with a different set of players in a different formation. And maybe all of us should kind of hold off losing our shit mm-hmm. until at least the game has started mm. and we can see what's what we're trying to do.
1: You had me until that last bit. I, <laughs> I can't commit to that. I'm still going to lose my shit regularly. But – um no, I agree with broadly with all of that. I think one of the main thematic takeaways for me, and you know, maybe some of this is, is ad hoc, given we've just played Southampton and Bournemouth at home and looked pretty good in both of those games where you would have expected us to look pretty good. But mm. I am leaning towards the idea, really two ideas. One, that we are just a better team going forward with one up front. That yeah. what it allows us to do is play players on each wing who are both more comfortable in those half spaces and wide spaces and overlapping with the yep. fullbacks. And that if you take either of those players out, what you get instead is Aubameyang or Lacazette, neither of whom is great out in those positions. Um, and that means we wind up being almost entirely a left-hand biased team when it's, you know, Wobi and Kolasinac doing all the work and that's much easier to shut down. So is that something that maybe we've we've stumbled into, so to speak, the idea mm-hmm. that, that one up front with more natural wide players supporting them, whether it's in a sort of a 3-4-3 like this was or a 4-2-3-1, either way, mm. it just balances the attack more?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I think probably what we've learned from the last couple of games is that we don't need Jack Gendouzi and Torreira in the midfield at the same time, that it doesn't, and then just hope that Lacazette and Aubameyang can do something with very little extra support. We need, you know, we need play with two of those guys and and again we I think we've got the room to rotate there if we want um I, I still slightly prefer Xhaka and Torreira but I've got no issue with Genduzi dropping in for one of them every now and then um but yeah absolutely I I I think move it it's almost like and, and there are different like um there are different kind of intonations of this formation but I think what we've kind of done, very broadly speaking, is moved from four-three-two-one to four-two-three-one, mm. and we've put like instead of having Jack Genduzzi and Torreira, we're now playing either Ramsey or Özil um, there, and and that to me is is what suits much better. That's why we're for me we're producing much better attacking moves rather than I don't know if you remember the West Ham game where I think we played like three-five-two and we basically just cut lacazette and Bamiang adrift really yep. and just tried to let them fend for fend for scraps and while our midfield was off somewhere doing something else and there just wasn't enough connection between those two areas of the pitch and i think they they do it in very different ways but ramsey and ozil connect um those spaces together ramsey largely does it off the ball uh Ozil does it with the ball um, and they, they can both be very effective uh, often are very effective in their own different ways so I think basically what we've done and that's why um, three at the back in this game didn't bother me in the way that perhaps three at the back did against Barte because we didn't have that extra attacker so I, I, I think that's what's changed effectively playing Playing like one of Ramsey or Ozil, and I'm sure we'll talk about him. I think you know mikatarian has been yeah. in well, in fantastic form.
1: He, he's the next guy I want to come on to, and I think this is this has sort of been for me the turning point for these two games is the play of Mikatarian and he always seems to be influential, um, if if a bit inconsistent. And I think mm. what you're seeing here is his comfort level in the team growing as he's coming back from injury and and the difference that it's making. And he looked very comfortable with Ozil and very comfortable with Aubameyang. And it makes me wonder if there are sort of pairings on the pitch in this squad that maybe make sense. Um, with mm-hmm. all the best will in the world for Owobi, who I, I really think has had a, a very good season and is, is a very good player, he's not a great final third player yet. And I think you saw mm-hmm. the difference that having two of those kind of players supporting Aubameyang makes in yep. Ozil and Mkhitaryan. So... Is that really sort of what's happening that the squad is kind of breaking into or factioning off into, um, you know, pairings and groupings that work better together? Or is that looking for a narrative where the real answer is just playing better attacking players yields better attacking play? I,
2: I I think it's a little bit of that I think basically both Mikatarian and Awobi like because both of them their end product has gone up recently and again I think it just comes back to having that kind of number 10 there so it's not two of them behind one striker it's three of them and you've got that kind of connecting presence be it Ramsey or Ozil. Um and they both I think really thrived on that because Mkhitaryan uh, you know Mikatarian I think is like a secondary creator which is why i quite like him in the team and you remember when when he came back um, we spoke about his presence in the team and i said that um, and i think we all agreed that i thought he'd start pretty much all the time he's like one of the pieces that emery regards as kind of indispensable but again it's it's kind of the same answer what's changed is the last couple of games he's used an actual number 10 so there's been so it's not all on Mikatarian uh, you know, like at Barte, for example, it's either all on Mikatarian or all on Iwobi to try and create something. And that I don't think that quite suits either of them. But when they've got someone to, you know, riff with or play off of, be it Ramsey with his movement, pulling defenders away, or be it Ozil kind of um, coming and getting the ball and drifting into space, it, it just makes... His job slightly easier, and like I said, I, I've always liked Mkhitaryan in the team. I, I understand his imperfections. I think um, the, the best way I could describe it is um, I saw—I uh, don't know if people follow um, Flanny Balls on Twitter. Yes, I do. Um, a good, a, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a, a good follow, I think. And he said that um, you know he was talking about how he likes Mkhitaryan. He was saying he always does a lot of things. Yeah, basically, which means and sometimes those things can, can be it can make him look bad because he's always involved. And if, you know, he's not having a good day or the structure's not right, it really shows up because he's on the ball a lot. He's running after it a lot. You know, he's he's a busy player, effectively. But when he looks good, he looks really good. And And I think that's a really good way of describing it. And I've always liked his presence in the team because I think even when he doesn't play well, he gives something to the structure, so even on his bad game, I think he he does something that's useful to us um but on 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 a good game, um like he's had the last couple of games, and like he had against Bournemouth he's yeah he's he he, he makes you he kind of makes you realize yeah this, this is the guy Dortmund had
1: yeah and look, I mean with all the problem is this winds up feeling like a referendum at some level then on a Woby um because Ozil took the spot that presumably would have been his or 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 arguably Ramsey's I th- I guess you could say and you can say well look this is a much easier game at home but i mean even if you compare Awobi passing at you know 77% at home to Bate the other the other game um you know Mesut Ozil i believe he he completed 97% 64 mm. of 66 passes and lest you think those were all just sort of at the midfield stripe 33 yeah. of 34 in the attacking third, 3 of 4 inside the penalty area had the beautiful assist from Iktarian and had that gorgeous hit it into the ground goal that only he knows how to score. Now I'm not sitting I'm not here to sort of what's a polite way to put this cup uh Meshedosos balls gently uh in my <laughs> hand and 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 lovingly stroke him. I'm not here to do that because I admit that this wasn't necessarily the highest uh caliber of of opposition, but Bate Borisov at home wasn't either. Maybe a little more pressure in that game you could argue, but the the thing is, I just think the precision and the movement, when you have someone who completes 64 of 66 passes and a big chunk of them in the attacking third, that's a big mm. difference to someone who's, you know, taking a third of his passes and give, giving them away and not completing them. So, I mean, it, we love Iwobi. We love Iwobi on this podcast. We stand for Iwobi on this podcast and all the things that Iwobi can be. But in that role, do we maybe have to look at the performance that Ozo put in in a game like this? Um you know and maybe just have a rethink about Iwobi as as a first choice player your first name on the team sheet kind of player in that role
2: maybe i i still see i still see him in there with Mikatarian and, and whoever this number 10 is so um i think Iwobi and Suarez maybe eventually can can rotate a little bit but i i still you know as, assuming we start with a back 4 I still think having three behind the striker and I think you have a nice balance then because Iwobi is the guy who goes and gets the ball and fetches Mm, it and then you've got a number 10 there whether it's you know and it it depends what you want that number 10 to do if you're going for a high press like we did against Southampton you go with Ramsey but if you want someone to pull defenses out of place um, all over the place you go with Ozil and I think Mkhitaryan's like a a good complement there it's almost like um you know, the three stages of creation, um, effectively. It's a bit like uh you know you know the, the That whooshing the sound you hear is that going over my head, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> you you know that kind of that that those chart, the evolution charts you see on the wall. It's it's a bit oh, yes. it's almost yeah. like we're like growing almost, up from ape to man or whatever. It's yeah. it's almost a bit like that. It's like get the ball, you know, give it to this guy, this guy you know, it's it's mm-hmm. a bit like the the evolution of an attack. Um, and I think you get it through those three players. And I and to I be do fair, Awobi
1: was good against Southampton, which was a good yeah, yeah. attacking display. So I'm not trying to, uh, you know, knock him. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah, yeah. I I sorry, I interrupted, but I, I I want to just be clear. This is not a you know beat you Use the stick of a good performance to beat Awobi. This is I think more talking about Ozil and his special and unique way of influencing a game in the final third and keeping the ball and whether we've sort of missed that precision in our game on that side mm. of the pitch, especially because that's the side of the pitch where you have Kolasinac who also, while very good, is not a high-percentage passer, not a keep-the-ball-keep-possession-ticking-over yeah. kind of player.
2: Yeah, yeah, precisely. I, I think what it comes down to, effectively, is, is it's, um you know, different strokes for different folks. Different games need different things. And, mm. yeah, Bournemouth at home, yeah, you play Mesut Ozil because Bournemouth are awful away from home, and they give you lots of space. And you know, Özil pretty much always produces against Bournemouth. I think one of his best games for the club was two or three seasons ago when we played them at home, and um, he scored in that game, and he, he just absolutely tore them apart. And so, yeah, Bournemouth at home, you play Mesut Ozil. Um, You know, do you play him Tottenham away? Probably not. Um, and so, I, I think coming around to that way of thinking, and this is kind of what I meant at the offset. So, like when Ozil's probably not in the starting lineup on Saturday, you know, people are going to lose their shit again because they like Ozil. And that, but that's perfectly understandable. Do you, do you understandable, think so? Or but, do you
1: think there are people, even, even I, I'm not talking about like the really dogmatic Ozil defenders. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean the, the, the average person who likes Ozil and wishes he would play. Do you think that they are kind of open to the idea that a way to, to a big yeah, team yeah. maybe doesn't suit him?
2: Yeah. 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 Plenty will be plenty. will be, um, yeah, yeah, uh, more than yeah, more than plenty will be. Um, but th- this is kind of what I mean about um, kind of waiting to see what the plan is and how it unfolds before, because it, it's just not obvious from the start. So, Urzel will play in some games. Like, so the way we pressed Southampton, um, for example, on Sunday, if we'd started Urzal and Abamyang in that game that wouldn't have happened like that first goal that came from Lacazette harrying that that doesn't happen with Ozil and Aubameyang and our our game plan there was to hassle them and try and upset them that wasn't our game plan against Bournemouth our our game plan was to try and you know skate around them move them around uh, with the ball so I I, I think it's just as simple as that I think that's what Emery is going to do and don't get me wrong recently I think it's been a bit more than that with Ozil it hasn't just been you know, purely tactical there has been a disciplinary streak to it and in fairness he's kind of explained what that is um in no uncertain terms when he was talking about availability at training so he's told us what the issue is and so that you know the last couple of months it hasn't been entirely tactical but you know if urzil keeps turning up every day um then i think this is how it will play out he'll play he'll play plenty um he just won't play every single game yeah um and and i kind of i kind of think that's fine really i I wouldn't want ozil in there if our plan was to press opponents up high um but bournemouth at home there's pretty much no one else i'd want
1: yeah what what do you think of that technique i mean it's it's so crazy isn't it like i mean we've seen him do it before but it never gets old i just imagine thinking that's the easiest way to score from there (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, first of all, even from like a physics perspective, I don't understand how he does it. Like, I don't think I could reproduce that without um, losing my knee cartilage. And um, the the really interesting thing. So it's not just like the audacity and the technique, both of which are because you've got to be brave to do it. Because if it doesn't cut, it's like pen anchoring a penalty. If it doesn't work, you look like an idiot.
1: Well, I mean, um, uh, and worse, right? Because if it doesn't work, think, I mean, you could literally, like like you said, like twist your knee, fall down and be on the ground yeah. holding your leg. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then there's the technique
2: aspect and the presence of mind to do it in the heat of the moment. But the thing that really gets me is that it works every time. And um, it just, it works every time because if you're a goalkeeper, what do you do with that? And it's, it's especially um, when, when you see it in the stadium, no matter how many times he does it, I'm always like, hell, what? Did that take a deflection or something? You know, I, I, see, my eyes don't quite adjust to what's happened until I see the replay.
1: I see, see, the thing is, Tim, I could see being able to do it and get the ball to like hop off the ground a little bit, like a little bit. Yeah, like to, yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah, to get over, yeah. you know what it would be to like get over an on-rushing tackler who's gone to ground. Yeah. But yeah, he yeah. gets that six feet in the air. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like a Carlos Vela chip, but done with his technique. I don't see how it works.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's, um, there was a, a little video of him doing one before a Europa league game earlier this season he like just during the warm up he like he takes a penalty like it in the warm up and it and it goes in and that's you know that's a completely stationary ball and uh yeah i I don't get it at all but um it's a wonderful skill and most like most importantly it's really effective um and that is the most important thing it's
1: not showboating. it's because it works. I want to talk about Ganduzi for a minute. I think mm. this is a real referendum on how people watch football in a way because Ganduzi made two really bad giveaways, one of which led to a goal where he lingered on the ball a little too mm-hmm. long. Now, I think it was a foul. But I think it's one of those fouls where he definitely gets the ball first, but then he goes through the back of the man. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that's legal, and I think it's a foul. And I think two or three seasons from now when Ganduzi's reputation has grown, he probably gets that call. Having said Mm -hmm. that, look, if there's one thing we would say about Gendouzi all this season is he holds the ball really well under pressure in tense situations, and that's a good quality, but sometimes he does it a little too much, and when he gets dispossessed, Mm -hmm. he does look for the ref to bail him out. He didn't get bailed out here. Lesson learned. Maybe he'll just be a little bit more careful, and I also thought Leno put him in it. I don't know that that pass was necessarily the the best one to give him, but putting that aside, the reason Mm -hmm. I bring it up is there are people who will remember that moment and (laughs) say, oh, Ganduzi, I don't see what Emery sees in him. Mm-hmm. I thought he was spectacular in this game. Mm-hmm. He he played almost 100 passes at 88%. The thing that I think is interesting is Shaka had an excellent game against Southampton, and the player he passed to the most, and by the way, he, he made 20 fewer passes in, in the game against Southampton than than Genduzi did in this game, but the player he passed to the most was Kolasinac. And it goes back to something we talked about on the last pod about how Shaka's preferred pass is really that long line breaking pass out to the wings the pass that Mm -hmm. ganduzzi made the most overwhelmingly 18 times was to ozil in a half space or more central space a a, a ball that progresses up the center of the pitch and i think that those that dynamic is a little bit different and i think that ganduzzi carries Mm -hmm. the ball forward at his feet uh a little better than shaka does although this is not meant again to, to knock shaka but i'm curious if you came away from the game with the same feeling that i did that 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 Genduzi heavily influenced it, and that put his mark all over it. Or if mm. you were more concerned, you know, by, by the giveaway for the goal, and and if that's sort of from the people you talked to in the stadium, is that is that what, what the lingering memory was of his performance?
2: No, no, all, all the all the guys I sit with really, really, really like him. I um, I mean, look. So I, I agree with you. I thought he, he had a really, really good game, the way he took the ball forward, the way he drove it forward. There are a couple of over-the-top balls for Lacazette mm-hmm. as well, which were excellent. And what I I think you accept with any player, let alone a 19-year-old, that when you – that a risk is necessary, um, right? And no matter how much people in the stadium scream and cry and stamp their feet, it's necessary um, – you know, to to kind of play the ball around the back and suck your opponents in to make the space further up the pitch, it, it's totally necessary. It's why all of the big teams do it. Um, and so, you accept, I think, with that, that a bit like a bit like, um, a bit like uh, Liverpool with Alisson and Man City with Edison as well. You know, you know, I remember Alisson made a really bad error early in the season, and Jurgen Klopp was like, "Yep," but we ask him to play like that because it's really valuable to us. And it gets us a lot more goals than it loses us. So, yeah, we have to accept that, you know, there's going to be a time where he tries to dribble around someone and it's not going to work. We we kind of, that's that's kind of a price worth paying so long as it doesn't happen too often. And it's the same, it's the same with any risk and it's the same with Gendouzi. You know, you've got a 19-year-old who's got this immense personality and we were all purring about his performance at Man City because he was taking the ball in positions like that and doing what he did there and he was doing it well. Um, and yeah, this, this time he got caught and he shouldn't have, and he knows that, um, he doesn't need anybody to tell him that. I think it's the first time it's happened this season. So given what him doing that gives us again, I think that's, that's really a price worth paying. You've just got to hope that when the mistake comes, it's fairly consequence free, which it was on this occasion. And what you want as well is for the player to respond to that, um, or not to respond to it um actually is is just to say oh well you know happens and uh, and that's exactly what he did he got straight back on the ball afterwards and that's that's like that's immensely promising for a 19 year old to do to make that kind of mistake and then go no I'm going to go back and get it again because I know that I was right to do that and I made the wrong decision in the moment but everything that led up to that I've got to keep doing that because I know I know it's good I know it gets results and uh, even when, you know, it made, it made the crowd really nervous and, mm-hmm. oh, it was it some people around me really, really fucking irritating. <laughs> uh, um, you know, like, just get rid of it. Like, <laughs> like, get like, honest, like, honestly, nearly in tears. Like, it really, really does my head in. But anyway, and uh, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, it's, it's a bit like we say about Xhaka, right? You can't just take the mistakes away because they happen. But, I mean, everything else he did in that game was, um, was absolutely superb. Um, and you know, I'm even, it's easy to say after you've won five, one, but that made it two one and that brought Bournemouth back into the game. And I wasn't like, I wasn't fuming with him. I thought, okay, you shouldn't have tried to take the player on. You should have moved the ball on, but I get it and this experience will make you stronger and all of that and I just had total faith in him to keep playing his game and that's exactly what he did so yeah I I thought I thought he was brilliant again Yeah
1: yeah and you know one thing that I think he's really good at and I'm curious to get your take on this uh, he presses up to to break up play really well he had eight ball recoveries in the game I think I think he does a really good job pressing up the pitch and and just sort of being in the position to break up the, the transition to the other team. I mean, do you think yeah. that his off-the-ball work is improving? Because I thought that was a real yeah. weakness in his game early, and, and it's something that I've been much more impressed with uh, as, as the seasons were on in this game particularly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What what he's got really good at is um, instead of like diving in for a tackle, it's just like blocking the passing mm-hmm. lane. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he gets about a yard or two away from the player and then he doesn't go and commit himself. He just stands slightly to the right or slightly to the left, wherever the ball is. And that's that's an incredibly perceptive thing for a 19 year old to do. It's exactly what um, what Fernandinho does for City so well you you never see like fernandinho leap into tackles or leave the ground or even really make tackles he just does that i'll run up to you and then i'm going to stop and then it's up to you to try and pass around me and you can't you're going to have to go backwards or sidewards and and yeah i, I think that's something that's definitely come on in his game because earlier in the season i think he was um maybe should we say a bit puppyish, um in those circumstances and it and it it kind of it augurs really well that he's learning these quite wily tricks very early in his career.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's great to see, and I I think that if we can, you know, forgive the occasional, dispossess, and I realize that's hard when you do something to go. go- uh, gives up a goal, and I realize there goes some people listening to this who are going to say, "Well, you, you know, you didn't forgive Shaka just the last podcast when he made a bad pass that nearly led to a goal, didn't even lead to a goal, and you're forgiving Genduzi uh, for giving up a goal." And the reason is, I'm playing favorites and totally being biased, and that's why. So you know, live <laughs> and, with it.
2: <laughs> and and as as much as I like Shaka, um, in fairness, one of them's 19 and the other yep. one's 25, so. Yeah, there there is a difference there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think what you would say is the upside to playing a 19-year-old who looks this good is the ceiling of what they could become, whereas I would say with Shaka, he's at the ceiling of what he can become. Yeah, so yeah. if you think Shaka is good enough, great. If you don't, he's never going to be, because this is as good as mm. he's ever going to be. Whereas with Ganduzi, he's only going to get better. At least you would certainly think so at 19. Um, we'll finish up with just some quick hits. Uh, one of the things that I think we should at least touch on is, is Carl Jenkinson you know he has mm-hmm. been a source of ridicule you know either the lovable joker or just a representation of fallen standards at arsenal that he's been with us so long we couldn't move him on and he was never good enough and you know it just depends how miserable you want to be but he is an arsenal <laughs> fan um you know grew up an arsenal fan his whole life is sort of living his dream gets to play in front of the emirates for the first time since i believe 2014 and I thought he did really well. I mean, I'm not saying this is our left, our right back. Hooray, we found one. But I certainly think he played well enough to make an argument for himself being the guy in Bellerin's absence. And, you know, I mean, he is a reasonable athlete. He gets up and down the mm -hmm. pitch relatively well. He's energetic. I mean, you certainly can't fault the fact that he does seem to try hard. And, you know, let's not look past trying hard as an important part of the game. I mean, are we going overboard just because we want to like the guy? Um, so I, I thought
2: he was pretty much what I expected he'd be, which was a bit of a six out of 10 performance, some good stuff, some stuff where I thought, Oh, like a, maybe a better opponent might, might might've punished that. Mm. But, um, the, the thing is where this, like it's become a meme basically, hasn't it? And I've said this loads of times, but because of this like meme that he's like the Arsenal fan that joined the team, like, I think like, even though he's, you know, not quite good enough there's this, this thing going around that like, you know, he's just like a guy who came off the park and started playing and he's not like, he's not an idiot. He's not quite arsenal quality, but I've always, you know, I've always I've thought for a while. Yeah. Like Bournemouth at home. Yeah. We can play Jenkins and Bournemouth at home. That's not a problem. Um, would I play him on Saturday? No, but Bournemouth, uh, you know, you, like you the, wouldn't play him on Saturday. Would you go with Licksteiner? No. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, just, I, I thought Luke Steiner was, was pretty good against Southampton when he was on. And I think if he's got Mikatarian on that side, I'd, I'd probably go with that just about. But um, yeah, like uh, Jenkinson, I, I think like Jenkinson is a, a lower level Premier League footballer, which, you know, that's that's kind of fine for your third I mean, choice 94 writer.
1: percent of all footballers would kill to be that so be <laughs> well be- yeah
2: exactly and and i i like i find it uh, maybe it's the wages i i find it a bit weird that like so few premier league clubs seem to come in for him like i, I always think someone like in that like like a bournemouth maybe i know they have just got nathaniel klein on loan but you know someone like that I, I think it'd be perfectly fine at a club like that and so i've never thought you know it'd be a disaster to play jenkinson he's you know he's got weaknesses but it's you know it's not like i think people have started to think that he literally is like the mascot or something like we're playing Gunasaurus <laughs> at right back how come we like, haven't
1: tried Gunnosaurus
2: at center back at minimum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and it's it's you know it's not quite like that it's it's you know i i think maybe we've gone a little bit over the top in our imaginations but at the same time we shouldn't kid ourselves that this is like kafu incarnate like he will probably go in the summer if someone will take his wages and that's probably right he should go somewhere else hopefully in the premier league but um if he can shop window himself playing in games like that
1: fine with me Got to keep one of the British Corps around. Come on down. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> someone's got to be there. All right, your, your last two quick hits. One is just about Aubameyang. Guy that I was kind of worried, you know, he kind of needs a goal. Is he flagging in confidence? And then he's put through in on the keeper, the classic example where a guy low on his confidence can find a million ways to butcher it. And nope, he just rounds the keeper and slots in. Yeah. I can't remember the last time we had a striker round the keeper, to be honest. It was nice to see. Um, but what's really encouraging about that too was the Mkhitaryan connection. And it was sort of yeah. the first goal that I've seen Aubameyang score where he and uh were he and Mkhitaryan linked up in sort of Dortmundish fashion. Um maybe just a little bit of an encouragement there on Obama seeing seeing yeah. finish like that and, and the, the sort of telepathic understanding with McTarien coming back.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I never worry about Obama because Obamayang's finishing is always a bit um erratic you know, it's, it's quite hit and miss, but he just picks up those positions so often when he goes through like that. I, I never doubt him. I think you're right. I think he really wanted a goal. Like there was, there was a, a point in the Southampton game where he really probably should have teed up Torreira, but he went for it. Um, and I think that's cause he, he really, really wanted
1: the goal, which to be fair, he tried to natural. play Lacazette in, um, yeah, yeah, in that game too, where he was in. So, I mean, you know, he hasn't become yeah. completely selfish
2: no 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 but you can tell he wanted the goal and and, he did not want to come off
1: he knew there were more goals in that game it's the first time i I can remember seeing him look a little bit aggravated
2: yeah yeah and um yeah but i i I wasn't i wasn't that worried about him to be honest he's he always finds such good positions that you know i i has he had like a serious goal drought in the
1: last this was it i mean whatever whatever he's in right now or was in, that was it
2: yeah it i you know, I, again, I don't follow Dortmund that closely, but I, do, I don't think there's been like a five, six, seven plus game stretch where he hasn't scored. He, he'll always come up with goals if he's on the pitch. So yeah, I, I wasn't too worried about that anyway. But um, yeah, that, well, and. and-
1: I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to save some things for, for Clive to talk about in the next mm. section, and I know he's going to want to talk about Lacazette because he, he struck a nice free kick, and I'm going to say that it should have been uh, ruled out for a Socrates foul on the wall, but that's that's going to be fun <laughs> for everybody. There's a little sneak preview there. I'll finish with this, though, Tim. You always talk about how your least favorite fixture, uh, apart from having to go to uh, Boku, is that where it is, for the Champions League final? Oh, Bak- Baku. Baku, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because because you're not a fan of those people in that country, as you've stated on this <laughs> podcast before. Um, I don't feel that way, obviously. But you've always said that Spurs away is, is the one you dread. And I was just kind of curious yeah. to get your take. Since they've moved to Wembley, has some of the heat come out of that? Does it not, not feel the yeah. same anymore?
2: Yeah, yeah, because Wembley is like a a big, very circular stadium in a big expanse, and whereas White Hart Lane is a tiny little shoebox, um, Did you say
1: box? Yes, I agree.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tiny little like shoebox stadium poked down a side road where you have to come out the away end through an alleyway. Um, and whereas, you know, Wembley, once you're once you're like 10 yards away from the away turnstile, no one can tell where you've come from because it's just this big circular kind of expanse so uh yeah it it did feel a little bit like that last year like um but but you know spurs have been there another year now maybe it feels a little bit more like home um to them but yeah i I'm, i'm still dreading it don't get me wrong i'm i'm if you'd have told me a few weeks ago that we'd be going in on the back of two of our best performances of the season and spurs would be going in on the back of two defeats i certainly would have taken it but um, yeah, I'm. I'm still. I like the anxiety is kind of already kicked in. Put it that way.
1: Uh, it has for me, but I almost feel like it's it's a freebie in a way. Uh, we've just played two great games, scintillating attacking performance, and we have to beat United. And that's still how I look at it. Um, I, I think anything we get against Spurs, the the narrative is shifted now that they are still big favorites at home to beat us, and anything we get mm. against them will just continue the their complete collapse uh in our ascendancy mm. so uh, i think this is one where we the pressure's not honest it's on them they've lost a couple in a yeah, row yeah. they've looked bad doing it they sort of imploded at the end there against chelsea and they were getting chippy and they were starting to fall apart a little bit they lost to burnley um which is a terrible result the pressure's on them to show that they're not collapsing yep. so i like how that's changed um yes yeah, i think this has probably come at the best possible time for us in that respect. If I asked you to name a lineup for that game and you named it, what would your percentage confidence be that you got it right? Would it be above 50%?
2: Yeah, maybe. I I had to think about this today. So do you want me to name it? All right. Yeah, let's hear it. (laughs) If you put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) So uh, I think he's going to go with the back three again. So uh, obviously Leno in goal. Uh, Koscielny, assuming he's fit. Um, I think Mustafi um, will come in. And, um, no, actually, no, 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 sorry. So I think Mustafi will only come in if is not fit. So it'll be Sokratis, Kashelny, slash. Yeah, we need Kashelny, he's been brilliant, yeah. Yeah, and Monrao. Uh, then I think you'll have Licksteiner and uh, Kolasinac, um as wingbacks. I think he'll go back to Torreira and Xhaka um, in central midfield. And then I think it'll be Awobi and Mikatarian behind Lacazette.
1: Hmm. How do you think people react to that?
2: <laughs> I mean, whatever
1: we do, they'll lose their shit. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? In a game where we're probably not going to have the lion's share of possession, and a lot of the game is going to be played in transition, is Lacazette the? I mean, is Lacazette the right striker in that situation? Is it? Oh, is it overly simplistic to say that you want Aubameyang to run in behind? Um, I, mm,
2: I, the thing is, I, I quite like the way that Lacazette contributes to that kind of forcing the transition um i'm gonna tell you why i, I don't guess, like the
1: back three either i don't I, sorry finish your thought my, my mistake sorry I, I, my uh, i
2: guess i'd say i'd I'd quite like ramsey to be in there um i I don't think he will be but i'd like ramsey to start
1: i like ramsey for his energy absolutely i think that that he might have been in line to start had he played at all in any of these games going but he just well he, he played against southampton didn't he um yeah yeah i don't know i could see him starting i mean he has opted for ramsey in the games that mean something you know, when Ramsey yep. has produced performances. Let me tell you why I don't like the back three and why I kind of hope he doesn't pick it, though. I realize that the default is to say the three center backs just makes us more solid at the back. I haven't seen any evidence of that. But here's what I don't like. And I noticed this even against Bournemouth. If you think about the early part of the season and how we played against big teams and, and you know, sort of how we were playing in general, we had great compactness through the center of the pitch with that extra body mm. in midfield. One thing I noticed against Bournemouth, and maybe it's because we were playing more pushed up the pitch and more open because they were so bad defensively and, and we were on the front foot. So maybe, maybe this is a, a misread on circumstance, but the middle of the pitch is a wasteland. It was Ganduzi and Torreira and no one else there. The, mm. There was a lot of ability to play through the middle because you know Ozil and Mkhitaryan kind of sp- splitting out and drifting wide a little, the fullbacks pushing up and, and wide on the pitch, and you really just had Ganduzi and Torreira marshalling the center of the pitch um kind of on their own now i guess you could play a back three where the wing backs aren't always charging forward or even tuck in a la kind of a city or something like that um but i do think we had better central compactness so to speak you know what i mean Yeah, yeah um early in the season now we were giving up monstrous amounts of ground on the wings if you remember uh yeah yeah and and you know city in particular tormented with us with that so we'll see but it'll be interesting i think we can leave it there i want to leave something for clive to talk about and uh we will obviously have a post-match podcast for the uh, Derby. We've got a Patreon podcast coming up that's going to be a, a mailbag. So if you want to get your questions in, you can still do that by signing up on Patreon. But either way, we love you and we appreciate having you here. So, uh, Tim, I, I know that you're a happily, happily married man. Um, <laughs> you know, If you need any help with that, though, you know, you know we got the hookup, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of
1: course. All right. Well, uh, Tim's on Twitter. Thanks always, Tim. My pleasure. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to sell you some lingerie. We're going to come back and talk to the one, the only, Clive, and see if there's anything left for him to say about this game. I have a feeling he will come up with a thing or two. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at TheEnclosed, the-e-n-c-l-o-s-e-d.com. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month club. That's right. Just like a beer of the month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult... To remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month, you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to TheEnclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful, high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to TheEnclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. All right, we're back, and as usual, the headliner has followed the show opener. Uh, Clive is here. We're recording this slightly later than expected because Clive does not know how to get home. Clive uh, can be found on Cl- uh, on Clive, on Cliver, on Twitter, at ClivePAFC, although I would certainly sign up for a social network called Cliver. Uh, Clive, do you want to explain to the listener why it was that you were unable to find your way home?
3: Uh, yeah, I went to a league meeting. I, I managed a team, and we had uh, one of our sort of AGMs, and... Um, the roads were closed on the way back they closed all the major a1 roads so i had to go a one hour detour
1: well there you go. i am glad you are here as are the listeners so <clears throat> big win good win i want to ask you a question about what Emery's doing because i think the challenge mm. for a lot of people to warm to him has been that we we all crave understanding uh i find that i rarely uh grab it it is elusive it slips through my fingers <clears throat> but i want you to help me understand i think What's confusing, right? So we play Southampton with a back four and we look really good. We get the job done. So everyone says, ah, the back three is dead. We found something that works. We go to the back three against Bournemouth, but the back three looks good and we play really well. But then in the second half, you know, with a lead, but not a huge lead, we switch to a back four and we look swashbuckling again and we, we dominate them and and finish with a big win. And so I guess what I would ask you is try to help me in, in your estimation, obviously none of us know for sure, but help me understand what Emery is trying to build here, because I see a manager who is getting results, and I certainly appreciate what he's done in the last two games. Yeah. But where I struggle is trying to understand the, the underlying philosophy or thought process behind it. So how do you see how he's making these choices and what he's trying to build towards?
3: Well, it's, it's, it's one I've been more comfortable with than maybe many others, really. In, in, I'm comfortable in not knowing. Do you see what I mean? But I'm comfortable in trying to learn. So I put myself in his shoes. Every single ground is new. Every single atmosphere is new. Every single team is new. I know we have continuity with Steve Bold, but he still has to experience it. Right, and he is going into these environments, and he's learning about them. He's learning about his players, he's learning about other teams, he's learning about what form is like, what the league is like, what cup competitions are like. He is learning. Right, so that's number one. And We've had somebody that knows everything. So, and we, and I often think, you know, when we were doing this podcast earlier, we've been we've been desperate for a manager to make us look prepared and and modern and um, and flexible, and I haven't forgotten that. And this guy, for me, is prepared, modern, and flexible. And I think he sees it as a as a process that he's on. You often hear him quote those words. It's all part of the process. And I think he has a points target in his head, and I think he's going for that. And I think this stretch of games that we're heading towards now – I think he has a target in mind. I think he will see where he is when he, if he hits that target. And there's a couple of games in there that we, well, two or three games in there that are quite difficult. I think he's in accumulation to try and get as high up the league as possible. If he doesn't work in his first year, I think he's going to obviously be supported into his second year when the pressure will be slightly rank, cranked up. Because he will have been to these grounds. He knows more about these teams. He has a greater sense of data. And expectations will be much greater next year, whether we finish top four or not. right? Because we will be looking to say, yeah, okay, mate, we've watched you. We know what you can do. Now you want to get more Bournemouth at home games rather than Huddersfield at home games, if that makes sense. Mm,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess then the next thing I want to ask you is like, how... Fortunate, Do you think we've been maybe with this run only in the sense that, you know, if I look back to the hammering we took against uh, Liverpool, right? So we go to Liverpool. And obviously, you know, it it didn't go our way. It was a pretty bad game. And I'm not saying that there's anything to be particularly embarrassed about. But 5-1 is a heavy defeat. Um, We come off drawing Brighton, not our best period. And then we have Fulham at home and Blackpool away. And we go 4-1, 3-0. Um, You know, and it kind of stops the bleeding and and put a little positivity back into the fan base. How important do you think it was after losing away to Bate after that really dreadful away, albeit victory at Huddersfield, losing to Manchester City? You know, we're really rocking to come home for Bate at home, Southampton at home, Bournemouth at home. I mean, these have been really important wins, the last two really impressively done. Do you think we've sort of caught a break with the fixtures there in the sense that They've allowed us to write the ship because I think after the loss at Bate, you were hearing the first whispers of, well, if, you know, if we get knocked out here, he should go, or I don't know if he should be given a second yeah. season, and, and these fixtures have really allowed him to to write the ship.
3: Yeah, maybe, but if you look the Bate game, I felt was an overreaction. I, I I really did. If you look to that game, it was very much one set piece header. Let's sit in our box on a muddy pitch. And it, it was just not possible to do much more than what we did, right? So it was just one of those games. It'd be an FA Cup game. We'd have been out of the FA Cup. It would have been our fault many years ago. But but I felt there was a bit of an overreaction to that game. And I, you know, we all knew we'd beat them at home. It was as comfortable as I thought it was. But I thought yeah. we'd beat them at home. And um, and then we did have a couple of nice fixes after that. But I do think some key personnel staying fitter, coming back in, have just stabilised things. And allowed him to rotate slightly and, you know, the the freshness of players and the competition in the dressing room and the fairness by which I think he's treating players, I think is now manifesting itself in a sense of togetherness on the pitch. And I know we've spoken many, many times about the Ozil situation, but for me, all he's doing is managing the dressing room and he's trying to make sure that all the players are equals Now, that's hard for us who've been brought up with star mentality when we support teams. And we don't expect our players to be treated as equals because we want to see the stars on the pitch. And when they're not for every minute, we question, especially if we lose that game. So I think it's a massive level of adjustment for us to adjust to him. But when you see the team play like I did against Bournemouth, but for me, it was the spirit within the team. You've got to say to yourself, hold on a minute here he is now doing something which is far more collective far more um far more team-based and i think we're going to bring more players along with us this is a group of players by the way that ha- are that have failed in recent years you know really haven't reached the heights we want them to they've managed to put money in their pockets but they haven't really managed to give us apart from the FA cup wins uh, a lot of joy you know there's been a lot of angst particularly in the way performances So he's turning that around, and I think he's slowly but surely, within the fan base, his respect is growing. Within the game of football, other managers and other coaches, you don't hear much negativity about him, because they know what he is, and they know how good he can be. Now, I'm a fan, so not everyone's going to agree with me, but I'm a fan of somebody that prepares for games, is flexible for games, and I heard lots of people talking about, oh, we won't see the back three at home. I just smiled to myself. I thought, so mm. yeah, we'll see, we'll see the back three. You know when we'll see it, when he feels we can get run downsides, when he feels that the other team's got fast forwards. It's quite interesting. Bournemouth home and away back three because he knows they've got speed up top. They got people that can run away from us, so I don't want to give them those spaces to run into. I want to, I want to flatten it off, and I want to make sure we're in charge and don't give them something to. With Ryan Fraser et al to run in, run into our holes, and he did it. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know what, mate? You know what you're doing. You're trying to make sure that we don't trip up. Now, some people were saying, "Well, it's only Bournemouth Club. Why do you got a back free for? Just put next to man in midfield." Well, I've seen Arsenal being broken on many, many times. Hmm. Right And um, and when it happens, we all say, well, why doesn't he play, get an extra midfielder or defense midfielders in or why don't we speed up our centre mid? Or it, We all have a hindsight coaching view. Well, this guy's doing it before the game. And sometimes it, the balance is wrong. But funny enough, when you get some of your better players in better form, suddenly we don't question the system, do we?
1: No, of course not. And I think that <laughs> I've already picked the title for um – for The podcast, but it certainly alludes to the attacking players. I, I've already talked to Tim about uh, Mikitarian, but I think his return to the squad and return to form has obviously been crucial. Um, I thought Ozo played really well to me. It is looking like two wide players alongside a center forward is the right way for us to play. Tim and I already spoke about it, um, but I'd like to get your thoughts on it, you know. It, it, it allows us to not have such a left-sided bias and depend so heavily on that Kolasinac on the wing sort of trope that we've we've developed. But, I mean, for you, I, you know, I know you don't like to focus on the individuals, but stylistically, yeah. um, does it look more balanced and and a little more cohesive when we play with one up top and, and two of the more natural wide players alongside?
3: It can do, Elliot. It can do. And it can do, particularly when we score early, because then we have multiple passing options in the centre of the pitch, right? So it can do. The way I look at football is every single game has its own story. What I'm pleased about in these recent games is that we're starting to score in first halves and we're starting to control the story of the game. We're taking our foot off the in games. And guess what? Our players look fresher. We're able to sustain two good performances, two or three good performances. And I think the key message for me to Emery is we've thrown away too many first halves this season, and we've had to work very hard late in games. And I think we suffered some injuries because of that. We got players back fitter. We're seeing a little bit more structure. I think one of the key players for me that made me feel start feel more positive was Granit Xhaka. Actually, I know he didn't play against his, versus Bournemouth, but. My feeling is when he is playing well, it just looks easier to progress up the pitch. So it's almost as so though with Arsenal, you need one of two players to simplify our offensive patterns, and it's Shaka and Özil. For home games, I think you, you you shift your playmaker slightly further forward, and he simplifies, this. he 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 fixes things, he puts oil in the engine. But it's interesting. Shaka was rested for this game. Uh, how's how's your money that Shaka plays at the weekend? Oh maybe yeah, I, I think that's a certainty. Yeah, yeah? I, I mean, the so what
1: well, well, I was just going to ask you. So, I mean, do do you think it will be with Torreira though, or do you think it might be alongside Um,
3: uh, Maybe all so, three. Maybe we might go a diamond <laughs> against Spurs, right? Maybe we might do the diamond thing against Spurs, and that would make a lot of sense if you're going to play four at the back. Or we might go five at the back, right? So, but the good thing is, Elliot. I don't know. And someone asked me, Clive Clive Online, what do you think the team should be? Do you think should play? And I went back and said, I don't care. The most important thing is how we play. right?" So we've seen the back five, I think it versus Huddersfield, if I remember rightly. And it was quite negative. And I said at the time, our wing backs were pushed back. We didn't push forward. You see the back five last night, and no one's questioning it because we were really aggressive, really pushing on, really running into holes both wing packs running through lines, then suddenly it works, right? It all works. And so, for me, it's not the system. It's how you play it, what your emphasis is. And you know my thing, quality or system, it is down to quality. Now, what we're seeing recently is an improvement in execution, confidence, and quality. You can't deny a Mikatarian as or Iwobi. When they're on form, they add quality. When it's just one guy in Iwobi trying to carry that load and he's struggling under pressure, then guess what? We weren't so creative and people talking about negativity of system when really it's quality and confidence of player. And this is why you, st- you ask me what Emery's doing. I think he's laying down a bedrock. Which we'll only see when the quality of individuals become a little bit more consistent and he can rely on a few of those leading pillars within sure. his team. And I think I see that coming next year, Elliot. Really. I really do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, look, this is going to sound typically uh, moany from me, but like, I agree with you. <laughs> I hope that Dennis Suarez isn't the sign of things to come. I'm still not totally yeah. convinced by that player, but it's early still. I, I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying. Um, you know, if we're replacing the likes of a Ramsey or maybe even an Ozil with that caliber of player, I don't know that you could say we'd be lifting the quality, elevating the quality. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I ahead. think
3: that's the, that's the issue, though, mate. We know there's some people that potentially are in departure lounge. But what we don't know is who's coming. And the moment we see players come in that maybe we potentially know or like, then the mood changes. I just saw a headline tonight about Rabiot potentially, and it's it's a, it's a headliner tabloid, right? So I'm not sending it to anybody. If, if
1: there's if there's one thing Emery
3: needs, it's another mm-hmm. player who's notoriously difficult to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, if he seems to be managing a certain mess at right now, yeah, right? Well, and yeah. if he if he's won that battle, fair play to him because the previous manager did not manage him. He allowed him to do exactly what he wanted, and the rumours that I've heard is that Emery's stock within the club has risen. Because of how he has approached that situation, which has been going on for... A long time and people have not been happy about that situation in the club within the medical staff with particularly how he has managed to manipulate the previous management and the new management are trying to be a little bit more um, democratic shall we say and it's been a struggle and um, when we lose games I'm afraid fans don't care about people and relationships they care about the next game the next result he's trying to manage a dressing room for the next two to three years and he's trying to put a culture in place. And we've all spoken about the Colney crash, the Sparta Arsenal, whatever you want to call it, the easiness. And he's trying to change that. And if you don't take on the biggest boy in the playground properly, then you're not going to be able to change anything, right? So, um, for me, I'm supportive of him trying to manage the club. He needs to get results. If you don't get results, people then question your management style.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I look, I think this is the challenge ultimately now is we are in position to finish top four and the running isn't easy, but it's doable. We're there. Mm. And so I think we're at the stage of the season. Now where power plays and looking for the future and building a base and, you know, trying to create a unity in the squad or a, you know, a future of harmony or, a, you know, whatever uh, expression we're going to use about it. Like, I think it almost has to be put aside. And now we're in pragmatism world, right? There's there's whatever it is, 10 or 11 games left. Is it 10 now? Um, and we can finish top four. And everything has to be subordinated to that at this point. And I, you know, my hope is that he has instilled the squad with the kind of unity and understanding of what he's trying to do at this point, that they can just do it. But if it means he has to use M, uh, Ramsey, he has to use Ramsey. If it means he has to use Ozil, he has to use Ozil. Um, I think the time for being philosophical has to be set aside now because and to his credit whatever he's done to this point whether you want to say by luck or by uh brilliance or a combination of the two or a process or however you want to say it, he's put us in an excellent position now he has yes. to land the, he has to land the plane um and so i think everything has to be subordinated to that let me ask you real quick about an individual since it's your favorite thing to talk about um <laughs> We do this podcast after every single game, and after every single game, we talk a little bit about system, and we talk a little bit about the process, and we talk a little bit about players. And weirdly, here we are in, well, March, by the time you're probably listening to this, and I can't remember the last podcast where we spent any real time talking about Lucas Herrera, And yet, he plays a lot, he's very consistent, he's rarely spoken about negatively, although we rarely sort of talk about him in any glowing fashion, what do you think of Lucas Torreira? I mean, he's sort of the the quiet linchpin of this midfield. You know, he he he's not Cocklin. You know, he completes ninety percent of his passes. He's a high, he's a high passing rate guy. He gets fouled a lot. He keeps possession pretty well. He just you know he gives it to his midfield partner and and hairs up the pitch to intercept or drops back in. But you know because he's slight, because he's not sort of a you know uh, a Cocklin in the sense that he's diving into two footed challenges and things. He goes a little bit under the radar, and I'm curious to see how important you think he is to to what we're trying to do.
3: Uh, I think he's majorly important, because it's, it's, it's interesting how people perceive players. I mean, if you look at our team as a whole, defensively, we question the quality of some of the players. Fullbacks, depending on how well they're played that night, we question the fact we need a couple of fullbacks, potentially. Attacking midfield, we debate that because of the Ozil Ramsey situation and some people have always questioned Mkhitaryan and Iwobi so we question that we're pretty comfortable with our two forwards not too sure they should both play at the same time so if you're looking at our team within like four units the base of our midfield and maybe our two forwards we are pretty good we almost ignore them you know we almost ignore it because they they are delivering and that's something that we haven't had the base of midfield we've got We've got three very good players that are comfortable at the base with a couple other supporting squad players. And Terreira allows for me, he does the job I like to see. He wants to control the area and he does not like other people controlling it around him. And so he goes after people, he accelerates the game. He goes after people and they stepping into his house. He said, no, 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 no. You're not coming here like that. I'm coming for you. And he has a mentality of a midfielder that says, I want to own this area. And if we're and you're not going to own it. And if you decide you're going to come through here, I'm going to do something. I'm going to catch you unawares. I'm going to transition on you. So he has a level of defensive dominance about him, which the one so small, you know, belongs in a bigger body. And and I like that about the three centimetres that we've rotated around. They all want to dominate, either dominate the ball or dominate the space. And they know their area. I think you mentioned a few times, when we are dominant we need them to release a little bit more maybe trara and guendouzi to release a little bit more and become more efficient man the edge of the box and be there for the sets and be there for the shots outside the area and don't be so cautious feel the game and be a bit more attacking but i i really like these three players and it'd be interesting to see how we develop upon them you know in a year or so mm. obviously the the Wait, no, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. No, the two younger ones. We all hope we're going to be there for many years. Chaka, I think he's very important to his club at the moment. But I do see a, a time in maybe eighteen months when Shaka will need to change, and we'll need to speed that up. That position. And I think there's no problem with that. He, had, he would have had four or five years at the club. And we hopefully he would have retained his value. And we can do something else there. And you stick developing your club, developing your club, developing your space. But, yeah, I, I love what Trevor's bought. I think he's transformed our centre mid with doozy. Mm. If you look at our team from last year, forget the goalkeeper I think is, you know doing very well. He's, he's a modern goalkeeper. But it's those two players that have made us think, hmm, This is interesting, and I think we've become much more competitive because of what they've brought to the table. And it's maybe freed up Ramsey and Ozil to do more, and Mkhitaryan, to do what they do slightly higher at the pitch.
1: Yeah, and you know what's really interesting to me with Torreira is – We hear constantly with Awobi, he's still young, he's still young, he's still young. And he is still young, and you know, he's only going to get better. And where he is right now is good, but he'll only get better. And if he drops a 5 out of 10, we're like, he's still young, he's still young. And with Ganduzi, when he loses the ball on the edge of his area and it leads to a goal, we say, ah, he gives us a lot of good stuff, and he's 19, he's still young, he's still young. Torreira is really young. Torreira has stepped in, been basically an ever-present in our midfield since the start of September, has played a part, or a a position, that has been a dumpster fire for Arsenal for years, where everybody who has played it has looked totally lost in that role and embarrassed, and he's done it with confidence, he's done it with character, he's done it with involvement. If you look at the games we've been good, where you know where our attack has been good, you'd think Shaka and Ganduzi is the more attacking lineup. Well, Torreira starts in the 5-1, Torreira starts in the very attack-oriented win over Southampton. It was actually Ganduzi and, and Shaka who started together against Batsy Borisov. Where you know, we didn't attack very effectively, and so I think he adds another dimension. He can step around a challenge. He gets fouled a lot. One thing I love. do you remember in this game, uh, he got the ball under pressure from Ganduzi, and he was going to get dispossessed, but he like pinched it between his legs and he fell down on top of it, and he tried to scoot it out of his legs and it looked like he was going to wriggle away, but when he wasn't going to wriggle away, he committed the foul to keep, like he very rarely just gives the ball away in midfield.
3: Yeah, he East Street
1: so. right. He will commit the foul or get fouled or fall. To, you know that low center of gravity. Like he does this quite a lot. Actually, is kind of fall on top of the ball if he's losing it. He just understands that he cannot be the guy to lose the ball, or it puts us under immense pressure. And that responsibility, that awareness. I think when you consider that he is—is is he still twenty-two or has he turned twenty-three? I don't think he, he's twenty-two Always. until he's twenty-three. We can agree on that. We can. <laughs> um, point is, I, I just think this is a player who we maybe don't realize what a star we have in him in a role that we have craved that has not been played well for many, many years at the club. And if we didn't have a 19 year old playing alongside him some days, we would be marveling at how well he was doing as a young player. First year in yeah. the premier league, you know, sometimes South American players come into the premier league, you know, cultural shit, you know, cultural adaptation, language adaptation, um, schedule out all that. And he's, He's handled it brilliantly. So I I think he He deserves a little more focus than he gets.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. It's a point well made. And I think, again, because we have got good options there, we can rest him. He hit a wall at Christmas, probably the first Christmas he's ever had to play. And he hit a bit of a wall. Yep. And he hit a bit of a wall. Shaka hit a bit of a wall. And suddenly we're playing this 19-year-old kid every single minute. Then, you know, the other day, we just take him out, misses the game. We still win the game, and now Altrera's back in, so we're now rotating because the quality in that area is good, so we don't drop away so much, and they are adapting, and that's probably the best um, Guedouzi Terrera game for me. I think that's the best attempt it has been without Jacko almost all season, right? So, so they're starting to develop, and they, and so in a year's time, they're going to be they're going to be something else again and my my theory about the 18 months left in shaka's life Arsenal life may come to fruition because we're going to want something else we're going to want maybe something faster ball carrying type mid, which we haven't really got at the moment so things develop i i think it's a great show i think that area was an area that we spoke about for so many months we barely speak about it because we're happy with it we're happy with it. Only touch wood injury is going to make us lose a bit of depth there. But I just like the way they compete. So we go to Spurs at the weekend. And I'm pretty confident, which if we play three or two, it doesn't bother me. I'm pretty confident that we can compete. A year or so ago when Spurs were rocking up with with now with Dembele and, and others, I was concerned. I was concerned. But I'm not so concerned this year.
1: Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, I mean, I think – I. I think we're catching them at the right time. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, so let me, let's me let finish with this. Um, you know, we, we've righted the ship. We've had a couple of really interesting performances. I think the manager has to make some tough selections um, given that, you know, we play again on Thursday and Lacazette can't play in that game, so maybe he'll decide Lacazette can have this game only played a part uh, at, at Bourne, against Bournemouth, and maybe he'll give him the start against Spurs and rest Oba for Thursday. But putting yeah. all that aside, just generally, what... You know, I know you don't want to pick the lineup, and you say you don't care about that. And Tim already picked the lineup, so it's totally fine. So we have that covered. <laughs> Just give me your expectation for the match and how you think it might go.
3: I'm hopeful. I think Arsenal need, you know, we can all sort of map out the other fixtures coming up. And we got, you know, I think we've got Leicester away. I think we've got Wolves away. And I think we've got Watford away. And they're going to be tough games right so hopefully we're going to pick up good points in those games but we need to win a game someone's not expecting us to win and it's Spurs and Manchester United are staring at us and if we were to get four out of six in those games I think that sets us up really well right so I I Spurs have got away with it they've had three last five minute wins before they lost these last two games And it was annoying me they didn't come back to us earlier. Now they're coming back to us. So it's interesting. I, I know Spurs probably better than any other team apart from Arsenal. And I don't rate them. They are a percentage team. They're almost a statistics-based team. They play percentages. They play in areas. They play territory. I would go back three for them because they will go long early. And I would probably flip to a four later in the game. Um, I would use that formation, but I would be very aggressive. I would be very aggressive in wide areas, and I would push their full-backs back. And I think we can I think we can get a point. I was, Wembley's not their home. I think we can get a point. They're they're
1: don't, they don't. They
3: well. don't have a home. I think we should emphasise. Yeah, that. <laughs> they they're not playing well. The, 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 I wish they would. We had more away tickets because that would tip the balance, right? But they keep us low despite the massive attendance they're going to have. But um, yeah, I, I do think this is most confident I've felt for an away game. And because I do think Spurs are tipping over the edge. And if we were to score early, I think we would test their mentality. And I think the most important thing is, is for us to dictate the story of this game by not having to come from behind. If we score first, I really fancy us to get something from the game.
1: Yeah, I I it's it's so tough in a way. You know, I, I feel for Emery. You can't win as a manager, right? Because if we had come off a drab victory over Bate after losing at Bate after a drab victory over Huddersfield and kind of meandered our way to kind of getting the points against mm-hmm. Southampton and Bournemouth. People would have said, you know what, we're going to lose at Spurs. Let's just focus on United and Wren. But we hammer Bournemouth 5-1, and now everybody's on Twitter giving it large that we're going to go beat Spurs at Wembley. And it's just like now if we, you know, if we don't manage to win, he's going to be right back under the same scrutiny, which, look, that's management. I get it, but.
3: He is you know he is. That's, that's i i hope no he fun. Can, you know i i'm i'm a fan of what he's trying to do and i'm really wanting to get to the the summer what's happening behind the scenes with the director of football etc i want to see that come to fruition i really do and i'm looking forward to seeing what happens and what identity we take on but the man needs a signature away win yeah he has what he needs he hasn't got that yet and if he was to get that at the weekend i think that would Bring a lot more people on board with him, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't care who scores the goals. I just think he needs that for a bit more trust within the the fan group. And I think it'll propel us confidence-wise if we were to win the weekend. I, I suddenly Wolves away doesn't look so big, you know. People laugh at Wolves away looking big to me. Leicester away new management. You know what? So what? We've been at the Spurs and taken them out. It all looks relative, and I think um, I think it's such an important weekend for that that we come away with something. Manchester United are home, another bogey team for us. We never do well. Tactically, what else can Solskjaer do? I think we can do something to them, and so I think that's going to be a huge game as well. But mm. if you also get this signature win earlier, I tell you now, you can see together us on the pitch. I think people are quietly enjoyed the last couple of games, but they're looking at this one. And if he was to get it, I tell you, it would bring everyone together again. That would be great.
1: Yeah, it would. And look, I mean, I'm going to pump the brakes just a little because our last two away games were Bate away and uh, Huddersfield away. Uh, One win, one loss, no good performances. And that's not to say we can't go smash Spurs, and I certainly expect that we will. Uh, You'll hear my prediction at the very end of the podcast. Um, But... I think we have to prove that we can do it away. I mean, the, the yeah. results speak for themselves. This has not been a good away team. The one upside of it is if we can get something at Spurs away, maybe it gives Emery a little data point that he can look at and say, all right, well, this is what I need to be doing. And if there's one thing I would say, I think he's been conservative away. We know that losses, you know, draws are basically a loss in the Premier League. So... You could make an argument to go be front-footed and go try to win it. I look back. I cannot help it. I still think it was such a sliding doors moment in our season in some ways. That second game of the season at Chelsea where we had him on the ropes towards the end of the first half and we were playing some really swashbuckling attacking football and they really didn't have an answer for it. And he gave into his sort of more conservative instinct second half, what we have we hold, and he got punished for it and I think he could have gone for it and maybe he would have gotten punished anyway, but, but a draw and a loss are essentially the same thing in this league. And think of what three points in that game instead of zero points in that game would look like right now. I, yep. I think there's an argument. Looking at how we played in these last two games, looking at when we're our best, and you'll see in the title of this podcast, you know, it says it right there, we've got a lot of talent up front, or it's something like that. You'll see it. You're listening to it. It'll be written there right at the bottom of your screen. Um, maybe, just maybe, Go be front-footed at Wembley and see what happens. And I, I will tell you this, if we go down swinging that way, I don't think anyone will have a problem with it. But we'll see. There's plenty of time to debate all that on the post-match podcast. It's an early one for uh, for Americans here. I think it's 6.30 kickoff my time, so not wow. going to be doing the, the big drink Friday night. Who am I kidding? Of course I am. Clive, I, I appreciate you uh, giving us some late-night time after getting lost on your way home. Uh, and I hope that no one <laughs> shouted you down at your AGM, and, and I hope we have a fantastic, huge victory uh, at the weekend. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, man.
3: Thank you very much.
1: My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. gives 5 star review. I, yeah, write nasty things about Paul. Write nasty things about Scott. Oh, you know what I should do while we're here? Maybe read some reviews. You know, we never do this, and you guys are so good as to write reviews of the podcast, and I just think it's important. That you know, we we reward that with reading some of them. So we have a lot of five star reviews out there, and I am I gotta love with you. I am really really appreciative of that. I think it means so much uh, that you yeah. will give those. I want to read one. Really, Arsenal host question mark? If you were a Tottenham fan and wanted to host a podcast, this is what it would sound like. I will miss Clive, but I cannot stand the host any longer. That is from <laughs> Donut Officer. Uh, here's another one. Below average, American presenter should stick to US sports. The way he talks about the game doesn't feel right, and he's too obsessed with stats. His guests are pretty good. So, you know, we do appreciate these, and, and I hope that you will continue to give them to us because uh, we certainly deserve them. In any event, uh, as I mentioned, block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 Spurs 0.